car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. This is Mandry and Pace, number one car thief. My name is Roger. Sir, steal anything, any time, as long as it's insured. My horoscope this morning. That's funny. My name is Roger. Two Rogers don't make a ride. It's front Roger, I'm a pro. Yeah. I've been in LA for three months now. I have money, cars. I have taste. Now he's got but I'm not on anybody's A list. And Saturday night yeah, is the loneliest night of the week for me. That's right. Certainly changed that. Perhaps. But you know, this is the one. Yes. 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 I saw three of these parked outside the local Starbucks this morning, which tells me only one thing: there's too many self-indulgent wieners in the city with too much bloody money. Now. Things don't always go as planned, would not be a even for a pro. Wiener, sir. Would be a kind of sort. Precisely. Champagne would fall from the heavens, doors would open, velvet robes would part. I don't have one here. However, I do have one Sometimes when you steal a car, car, you get more than you bargained for. What else do you have in the warehouse? Shit! Who is it? Police! Fasten your seatbelt for what Carcraft magazine calls the most hair-raising chase scene ever filmed. Hollywood Reporter says it's a thrill a minute. You owe it to your car to see Gone in 60 Seconds. It's Grand Theft Entertainment. Gone in 60 Seconds. Rated PG. Hello, this is Brian Johnson of ACDC, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgia Radio Cars. I'm your host, Robert. Brand new computers and Google Tantalk, 1340.com. And you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreetmotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, uh, 696, maybe, this time. Uh, don't forget to check out our website, uh, nostalgicradioandcars.com. That's where you can hear all the past shows. Good evening, Ed. How you doing? <laughs> anyway, we're having fun here tonight. Um, Matt's on a little hiatus, so Ed and I are in uh, in the driver's seat tonight, so we can drive a radio station uh, per uh, Lola. Anyway, hey, um, we got a guest for you coming on this evening, and let's see. I think my I'm 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 busy trying to multitask here a little bit, so hopefully you can uh, see me here. And ah, there we go. Anyway, I'm here. So, uh, all right. So this, uh, actually, you know, I, 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 I'm going to take the, a good portion of the show tonight, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about some of the events that I've been able to participate in in the last couple of weeks that I didn't get a chance to because we had guests on. We had Rob Myers on from RM Auction last week. The week before that, we had, jeez, uh, my memory's bad. Um, we had another uh, a guest on, and then of course tonight we have another guest on, coming on tonight. So we're going to be talking about cars a little bit, but I wanted to kind of highlight a couple of things. Okay, so as you all know, I do appraisals, diminished value, total losses. And uh, every once in a while, I get some interesting stuff. And I have to deal with insurance companies. And I'm going to quote uh, a, 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 a lawyer commercial, and it basically goes like this. You're not in good hands, and they're not your good neighbor. Insurance companies just do not want to pay. So when we get into these issues about these total losses, uh, people just go round and around and around. And same thing with the diminished value. When your car's been crashed and fixed, it's not worth what it was before the accident. So somebody owes you for the lost value of your vehicle, and that would be the at-fault insured. Okay, And if the at-fault insured doesn't have adequate insurance, then you sometimes may have a problem. You can generally, okay, my understanding, and I'm going to say I'm my understanding because I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an insurance agent, but I will tell you this. This is a real critical issue, and we're going to have a gentleman on. We're going to actually have an attorney on the show here in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be talking about this. So I'm going to ask questions. I may not even be always correct, but just from my experiences, I kind of have a kind of a feel. But when you buy insurance, because I just had to renew mine here uh, last month, and I was really, really, really irritated because my insurance doubled. I only raised my limits just a little bit. Now, keep in mind, I deal in accidents all the time, and I deal with crashed cars. 
So, and occasionally I cross paths with, with attorneys. And I'm definitely not necessarily in their fan club because most of them are self-serving, for lack of a better word. And that's being polite. And basically what they do is they, you know, they're, they're, they're ambulance chasers. They run after you. They bite the tires on the ambulance, and then they try to slow it down so they can go in there and hand you a business card. And then what they do is they uh, try to get you to sign them up or sign up with them so they will hand you a claim. But they've got you and about a 1,000 other people that are trying to do the same thing. So basically you're an annuity for a law firm and uh, uh, against an insurance company, which you're also an annuity to an insurance company because basically you're writing them premiums every month. And then, of course, the insurance company, when they have their windfall, or the lawyers, when they sue the insurance companies, and assuming they get some money, you're a windfall for them. You're a lottery ticket. So just keep that in mind when you walk into a law office. You're stamped. And I know we have a couple law firms that do uh, radio shows here, and some of the advice that they give you is good. And um, but they are in the business to make money. That is it. Just bottom line. Insurance company is in the business to make money. I'm just in it to make a living, but I do the right thing because I'm trying to help you guys collect your money, at least what you're rightfully owed. And the legal term in the world of insurance is indemnification. Indemnification means to make someone whole again, if you Google it. That's what it comes up to. And it's a term that you hear frequently when you're sitting in the courtroom. And uh, so you're not asking for a lottery ticket. Um, like a lawyer does, um, and I say that because I'm just, I, it really irritates me because when I see some of these cases, you know, they get 33 and a third percent plus expenses. So generally, they'll walk away with half. So if you're getting $100,000, they're going to walk away with that. Then, unless you're, you know, if you got any medical bills and any of this other kind of stuff, or repair bills and things of that nature. So the, if a lawyer was really, really smart, did the right thing, you know, he'd get in, get the case over with, and then reach a, you know, a fair and equitable um, settlement for all parties concerned. But they don't necessarily do that because they get these cases in the pipeline, then they get another one, 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 and then you know your case just kind of moves along very slowly. Realistically, and I've talked to claims adjusters, senior claims adjusters with insurance company, and again, I'm not in their club either, but they realistically say that they could probably reach a settlement within six to eight months on most personal injury claims. Automotive is a little different deal because it depends on, you know, what the what what's involved. I mean, there obviously if there's a death and some other stuff, uh, you know, and uh, um, criminal issues and things like that and fraud, you know, those can drag on. But your basic personal injury, you know, insurance companies just kind of want to get them over with. But every once in a while, keep in mind, they have lawyers on retainers and they're there all the time, all right? And they basically... Everybody's milking the system. You know, they're just taking advantage of everything. So it's it's you you have to be you have to do your due diligence and you know, know when to make the right decisions, use a little common sense, do some research and say, nope, this is what we're going to do. I want to get this thing over with because, uh, you know, it's, uh, I'd like to get on with my life, pretty much the way it is. But anyway, with, 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 with diminished value, it falls under the category of property damage, okay? So all you're asking is that I want my car fixed. I want to be compensated for a rental car. I want to be compensated for any other incidentals, inconveniences that I had to deal with because you didn't cause the accident. They did. So really, the burden falls on the at-fault person, if you have to take it to court, in Florida, you can go to small claims court and do that by yourself. It's a couple $300, $350, you know, in, in filing fees and things like that. And then you have your little, you have my report with you, okay, and then you have, which gives you a valuation. And then you have, you know, your additional expenses and stuff like that. So when you file, you file for the maximum that you can go for. In this case, let's say $8,500 plus expenses. Just keep it simple. $8,500 plus expenses. And you throw that on there. Okay, you go for the go for the gusto. And um, you just wait it out in court. And I will tell you, as a rule, it's classic David and Goliath. And uh, they basically, um, in court, they don't do very well because, you know, people know that corporate America's got plenty of money and they're trying to beat up on a little guy and that's just the perception it's kind of like when insurance companies go your car has not experienced or suffered any kind of diminished value it has not suffered loss in value it looks good the paint's nice it's fresh the car's straight it's back on the road you should be happy no it was crashed it's blemished you know i have a broken arm from 100 years ago when i was in my previous lifetime but i broke my wrist when i was a kid and yeah it works fine 
you know, but there's every once in a while, there's a little click there. I cut a tendon in my finger. It's fixed. It looks good. You know, it's stitched together, but it's not 100%. Okay, well, neither is your car. Um, I got a customer right now, and I think I mentioned this briefly at the time I was just talking about it, but he had a 2024 Corvette Z06 convertible. He bought the car on, I'll just say, on a Thursday or whatever it was, drove it home. He was going out to dinner, I guess, with his wife. A couple days later, 96 miles on the car, and he got tagged in the rear. And uh, so when I went and looked at the car, it had 103 miles on it, okay, sitting over at the body shop. The whole back panel's off. Now, this car was tagged, not hurt really, really, really bad, but it's a Corvette, you know, boom, at the intersection, minding his own business, like most of them. I would say that 75 80% of the accidents that I, or crash cars that I deal with are all hit in the rear. I got a 2023 Palisades I did a couple months ago that was hitting the side. I got another 2023 Palisades that I'm doing, I may be doing, and that was hitting the rear. I, uh, I had a 2023 Nautilus that was hitting the side. Um, I got a 2017 or 18 Dodge Ram 5500, so that's a big boy. It's hitting the rear and shoved into a Porsche Macan. He, the, the Sterling semi truck hit him in the back, creamed his trailer. It was only two days old, and shoved it up into the back of the truck. And it and it's got a big step bumper on the back, you know, big industrial bumper. And it bent the crap out of that. And then it racked, it diamond the frame on the truck. And it's not right. But you know, people say, oh yeah, it's fixed. It looks good. No, it's not. It's still a problem. You know, I mean, a light tap is one thing. Keep in mind, a lot of times when people get hit in the rear, they a car expands and contracts, okay? You go forward, it goes forward, and then there, there are things that take place. For example, the seat tracks. If you're in there and you're a little on the heavy side, for example, okay, you're gonna you're, you're in there with your seat belts on, and all your weight goes forwards, all your weight goes backwards, and the car does a whole bunch of stuff. There's things that take place. It's called dynamics, you know? And it just kind of stuff rattles and shakes and looses, loosens up and bends and does all kinds of weird stuff. So that's just the way it is. In fact, if you'd go on to watch the, the National Institute of Driver highway safety thingy whatever that thing is um i'm bad with names but anyway just google it and watch watch crash tests and watch them in slow motion see how your car just goes and then and pops back and it's just the way you know metal expands and contracts you know and uh they say there's a memory to it yeah to some extent but you know the car's been messed up here's the other bad thing about some of these cars these new vehicles that when they the, the the manufacturers are so cheap. We used to complain about this back on you know when we used to work on our Mustangs in the '60s and '70s cars, and there was just enough wiring to plug everything in. Maybe at an extra quarter of an inch, half inch, if you really really popped it loose from some of the clips in there. Well, today it's just as bad. The only problem is there's a lot of electronics and there's computers in there and stuff like that. Well, when they expand and contract, guess what? The wires pull. Sometimes what happens, they pull the pins out. And I think I've discussed this once before. We had a car. They could not figure out what was wrong with it, why some of the electronic stuff wasn't working right. Well, one of the pins had popped loose, only one, and, and wasn't making a proper connection, so the computer didn't rewrite. Well, in this particular case with this 2024 Corvette, it's in the left rear corner hanging off... Uh, right around with a, with a right by the taillights behind the the back panel that panel is carbon fiber there's another panel behind that it's aluminum it's a reinforcement it's bar or a face bar whatever you want to call it okay so that's bent so now the the the, the quarter panel's cracked the hatch is cracked but the insurance company doesn't want to fix that. They say they don't want to replace it. They want to fix it. You don't fix anything on a 2024 vehicle. You put brand new on there. So now this becomes a legal matter. Okay? They write a low estimate. And let's just say, hypothetically, it was $20,000. But it's going to cost thirty to fix the car. Well, who's going to pay for the difference? Insurance company's attitude is, yeah, screw it. You pay for it. It's your car. You know, this is all we're writing. So now this is the way it is. And I see more and more body shops that are in a situation where what happens is... They got to go and say, look, we have to fix it a certain way because we have to stand behind our work and we do quality rest of, uh, uh, repairs and it's going to cost $30,000 to fix this car. Insurance company is only going to write an estimate for twenty. If they do not step up to the plate, you, if you want us to fix your car, are going to have to pay the difference. Well, $10,000 is a lot of money. 
Now, generally, if you got an expensive car, $100,000 car, is probably not a big deal, but still, nonetheless, you don't want to have to go through that. That's uh, extremely, extremely annoying. And and I deal with this stuff all the time. I mean, I I, I just, you know, like a lot of times you'll see a vehicle. Like, um, I've, I did a 2021 Ford Platinum F-250 diesel. Got hit real hard in the rear. Took the back of the truck cab or the bed, slammed it into the back of the bed, kinked the bed. So they had to actually cut the back half back part of the bed off or replace the bed, cut part of the cab off. Okay, now you're getting into some serious structural stuff, okay? And the frame was damaged, but on some trucks, Ford in particular, Chevrolet, I think you have to, because it's got a high tensile steel or high strength steel frame, carbon frame, you can't fix it. You have to literally replace it i mean there's like the frame horns you might be able to replace but anything beyond that you have to replace it ford designed there so that even if it got hit behind the frame horns and in front of the suspension or by by in the rear you can actually cut sections off and replace those sections okay so they were a little bit more clever about building it and um but anyway so they wrote a 30 or forty thousand dollar estimate on this truck because it was brand new with like a few thousand miles on it well they get the car all back together they get the truck all glued back together and welded together and all this other kind of stuff and it looks pretty and it's all painted it goes down the road and it's crabbing it's going down the road wrong so you have a couple things going on right there and then it leaks you know the 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 cab the door's kind of closed but there was a little bit of a gap there okay the shut lines are not right you know you when the vehicle rolls off the assembly line it's done on a in a jig and it's done on the assembly line it's done in sections and it's all put together and it's all welded together and all glued together and all seam sealed together and it looks really really good and it works when you even any really really good body shop will tell you we can make the car look really really nice but it's not the way it was when it rolled off the assembly line that's just the way it is now restoration is completely different because restorations you 100 percent disassemble you 100 percent reassemble you actually have rotisseries you have jigs you have all kinds of stuff you can actually make a wreck balled up ac cobra porsche mustang camaro whatever you can make those pretty close okay um, you can do the same with, but you're spending a lot of money, and it takes time. It takes hours, in some cases, thousands of hours. And, you know, I don't care if you're doing a 1936 Delahaye or a 1933 Auburn or a 1929 Duesenberg. To do restore one of those cars, you're probably going to have four or 5,000 hours to do that car right. Okay, But that's what you're paying for, and you know that going in. But when you take a car to a collision repair shop, your Ford truck, your uh, Hyundai Palisade, your um, Chevrolet Camaro, your Dodge Challenger or truck or whatever you got, you know, they, 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 they have you – know, there's hours already predetermined how much time it's going to take to fix something because they know that they have these um you know programs out there that say okay it costs so many time it's so much time to take a quarter panel off so much time to put a door in the car so much time to take a windshield out so much time to take a bed off and fix a bed realign the bed blah 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 on and so on and you know hang suspension everything like that they got that all figured out you know and uh so and 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 that's what you're gonna get paid for and then here's the other thing is like in the old days you know body shops were getting 30 40 dollars an hour now they're about 56 to 60 dollars an hour but your high-end body shops that have to do Aluminum, they have to be aluminum certified, for example, or they have to be certified to do carbon repair, uh, carbon fiber repair, or they have to be certified to do a Tesla, certified to do a, uh, a Porsche, a Mercedes, a McLaren, any one of these cars. You have to send your team out, and they have to be trained and certified and pass a test to fix and repair a car. And that's, that's not done locally. They have to, you know, the manufacturer, the dealership, not the manufacturer, the dealership has to pay to have this done. So, there's a lot involved in this, you know, when you're in this uh, modern-day rack rebuilding business, okay? Not to mention the computers. you got a pre-scan, post-scan. And uh, so, you know, I see this all the time, and it's just, you know, the best advice I can give you is drive safely. Don't get involved in an accident, you know, because you'll be calling me, hopefully. Ed, I think we got something pewed up on the stereo. Can we play a little, uh, what do we got, April Wine and a little... Uh, Sign of the Gypsy Queen. I just like that song. I don't know. I always thought April Wine was cool. And uh, so you turn into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We'll be right back and uh, enjoy the song. Lightning smokes in the hill rise. Like the man with the warm light. Shouting loud you had better fly. 
Tune in to Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I really dig that song. You know what I do when I'm in my little... I sequester myself in my little office, right? And I have two computer screens. My son set that up for me. Bobby, thank you. And um, so what I do is when I'm doing my reports, I click on the radio, I play music, I type in, let's say, for example, Top 100 in 1967, Top 100 in 1968, 69, 70, 71, so, and so on. So I listen to all these songs. These are songs I listened when I when I was growing up. The other thing that's interesting is every once in a while I get these people on my radio show, these guests, these musical guests, that have actually been involved with those bands, I mean, to name a few. And um, speaking of which, we have yet to get him on our show, but we did get the line from him, and that is uh, Brian Johnson. This past weekend we had Festivals of Speed. I didn't even get a chance to talk about Meekum. I want to talk about that a little bit and some of the stuff because there was the Meekum there was Festival of Speed um, I did a presentation uh, up at the, um, the 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 racing car club of the villages and I probably said that wrong um, I was a guest speaker up there talking a little bit about diminished value talking about the radio show and stuff like that I want to thank those guys up there at the villages in fact every third Saturday of the month they have a great car show at Spanish Springs Spanish Bay the, the, the main um, uh, uh, square up there and they have Three main ones, I think. Well, they got Brown, Brown one, which is the newer one. Then they've got uh, Sumter Landings, which is, I think, the original one, maybe. And then there's Spanish Springs. And uh, so they have a big car show there. So if you get a chance to check that out, that's uh, if this is the third Saturday of the month, they will be up there. And they play live music. There's restaurants. I mean, there's probably 250 to 300 cars that show up at that event. So the Villages gang, they're pretty cool. I like a lot of those guys up there. So a big shout-out to those guys. But anyway... So I go, I'll, I'll go on to uh, uh, Mecham. So I was at Mecham, and I was looking at tons and tons and tons of cars, and uh, a lot of cars, 4,000 cars. The bad thing was is it rained. So some of the really, really cool cars were in basically a mud hole, and you really couldn't go traipsing around out there without slipping and sliding, and I really wasn't in the mood to, you know, I didn't mind playing in the mud when I was a kid. I just didn't really want to do it now. But it was interesting because some of the cars were coming through there. They were slinging mud, and then they get in a staging area. Then the owner has to pay to get the car cleaned up, and you know. But there were some pretty amazing cars. Now I'm going to use an example. When you the the whole four thousand cars is a lot of cars. There was allegedly more than that, but let's just say there was four thousand cars, and it was twelve thirteen days. We had John on the show. <coughs> I will say that just. From a car show perspective, never mind the fact that those cars were there for sale, just from a car show perspective, for me, it was a huge treat because I could look at these cars and I could check these cars out. And obviously because I do appraisals and because I look at these cars and I like these cars, it's a trip down memory lane, but there's some really interesting stuff there. The two cars that actually caught my attention that didn't mean anything to anybody else was a 1970 Grand Prix factory four-speed. Now, I only made a few, two, three hundred of those cars. 70. And now, 69 I like better. Basically, the same car, except it's got different door handles on the inside. It's kind of cool. And um, But a factory four-speed car, really, really not. And it had decent documentation. Um, that's probably a $35,000, car, maybe fifty. you know. The other car that was there that was really cool, because I'm a, I got a hang-up for four-speeds, was a 1965 Chrysler 300. 
with a 413 and a factory four-speed. That was a cool car. Bucket seat console car. Really, really, really nice. And um, and then what else was there? There was another car that I looked at, and it was a sedan. Uh, not a sedan. It was a, a convertible full-size car. Might have been a Chevrolet or something. But it was a bench seat four-speed car, which I thought, wow, now that's cool. Okay. So... In fact, I have a friend of mine that has, and if you guys are interested in it, don't forget to check out GolfstreamMotorsports.com because we do have a few cars on there for sale. Got a couple Mustang projects, 65, 66, convertible, and a 67, 68. Well, 65 convertible, 64-speed car, 289, and a 67, 4-speed car, 289, both project cars. Contact me through Gulfstream Motorsports, and I'll tell you about them. And then I have a 65 coupe. Um, cool car, but this other car that I'm looking at right now is a 1969 Galaxy Factory 429, just a Thunderbird motor, not a Cobra Jet. They either came 69, you could still get a 390 FE motor, and you can also get a 429, which was the first year. But this is a bench seat four-speed car, and it's got power windows, power steering, power brakes, deluxe interior, XL interior, and it's white, which is cool. But it's also factory Gulfstream Aqua. Now, my company is Gulfstream Motorsports. Well, where do you think Gulfstream came from? Not from the Gulfstream out here floating around the coast of Florida. No, it came from Gulfstream, the color, which was actually used on 69 Shelbys, which was the first Shelby that I really, really got attracted to or became attracted to was a 1969 Gulfstream Aqua Shelby GT500 Fastback. And so I've always wanted one ever since then. Anyway, so... There was a lot of really cool cars there. Now, I'm going to speed this up a bit. Uh, a friend of mine went and bought some cars there. A really good friend of mine. And he kind of knows cars. He likes cars. And he knows cars a little bit. But less than he realizes. He's probably listening, so he's going to probably scream at me when I see him. But he he's not really into the detail side. Because he's not into the mechanical side. When you buy a car at an auction, one of the things you need to do is get there early, look at the car... You can actually go to the front office. They may let you at least take the car and have it looked at, okay, which they should do. So you can pull the car out of the line. You can look at it. You might not have a rack to check it out on, but you really need to check the car. At least put it in gear, roll it forwards, backwards, make sure it goes through all the gears. Well, my friend buys a 1969 GTO Judge, all right? It went on the block. The wipers were stuck. The wiper switch wouldn't work. The car had first gear and third gear. Now, if you know how four speeds work, they were at first and third, second and fourth, okay, and reverse. Now, Andy's probably, Alan's probably going to call up and tell me I'm wrong. But anyways, from my recollection, that's how they work. So this thing would not go into gear. Anyway, long and short, we get it home. It's got some Mickey Mouse shifter in it and no stops. Nothing's adjusted right. No bushings in it, and it was junk, okay? The wipers never worked. The switch is bad, but it looks good. It's really cool. Carousel red. May even be. It was a 42 in the VIN code, so it was a GOAT. Um, but when I was underneath it, I was looking at it, and I'm going, holy mackerel. I mean, I don't know if the car was an automatic at one point in time. Could have been. But I don't know. But I kind of remember that what they did back in the day, when they put a four-speed in the car, you would think that they would, like Ford, for example, has a nice, neat cutout if it's an automatic or a four-speed car, and it's got a plate, a panel there that goes over it, and it's for four-speed or it's for an automatic Okay. No, 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 no. Not GM. GM looks gets a couple guys out there with a torch or a hacksaw or whatever they did, some some cutting device, and they butcher the floor up, and then they screw a piece over it. I believe. I, I may stand corrected. Mopar, I think, actually was kind of neat and tidy too, like Ford, and so was AMC. But General Motors. I mean, I've seen a lot of those cars like that. But some people tell me that that's the way they were. Maybe they were. I didn't work on that many GM cars back in the day, so I don't recall. I've been on there mostly under Forge because I was always switching my transmission out because of the clutch and, you know, whatever, because I used to do a lot of street racing. But nonetheless, so now I got a shifter on order, and that's a long story. I mean, there was, when they put the console in it, instead of having all six screw or eight screws holding the console in, there's two screws, one in the back and one in the front, and they're three inches long, and they're sheet metal screws. They're actually tech screws. Really? So somebody went through the extremes of painting this car up, look really, really nice. Had a nice body, nice finish, nice paint, nice options. Now, the deck lid did not come down because a judge has a rear spoiler on it, and I believe the judges had an extra spring. But if you know that, you could switch that out. So it may or may not be. Without buying a PH, getting a PHS, which is a Pontiac Historical Society certificate, which is like getting a Marty report on a Ford, you really don't know what you buy. Other than in the code, it did say 4.2, and 4.2 is the code for a GTO. So it was a GOAT. Anyway, 
pretty car underneath, painted frame, painted undercarriage, all brand new parts, nothing completed. I mean, everything was loose on that thing, practically. You know, so it's just it was just a complete dangerous car for all practical purposes. So this is why you got to look these cars over. Then they bought another car, an AARA Cuda, also a factory four-speed car, which is a good thing because automatics aren't worth anything. Some people say they are. Yeah, four-speed is the way to go. Even if you have an automatic car and you convert it to a four-speed, it's still worth more than a, 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 an automatic car. The exception to the rule, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans, is if the car is a one-owner car, 100% documented, all original, all original paint, all original interior, all original invoices, bill of sale, preferably the original owner, maybe two owners, but everything on the car is dead nuts the way it came off the assembly. That car you do not touch. You don't mess with that car. You leave that car. And if it does have an automatic and it happens to be on the tree, on the route, on the steering column, just leave it alone. Like I saw a car one time, don't know if it was real or not, but it was a, uh, I think they call it an A, uh, whatever the 69 six-pack Roadrunner liftoff hood, A36. Somebody will call me and complain or tell me what it was. But anyway, there was one of those that actually had automatic on the column. But it was a fairly original, low, low, low mileage car, and it had power windows. Now, that supposedly, and one repaint, one repaint. That supposedly, if it was real, you'll leave that car alone. Don't mess with that one. But if you get one that's had 50 different owners, two different owners, 10 different owners, and it's been modified somewhere down the line, throw a four-speed in it. Five-speed, six-speed. Manual transmission cars always bring a premium. Even the rest of mods that they're doing today, if you notice, almost all the rest of mods are stick shifts. Rarely any of them are automatic because nobody wants a go-fast car that's got two pedals. They want three. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to talk a little bit about Festival Speed this past weekend. So, Festival Speed had the 20th anniversary down at the uh, Vinoy Park. Big shout-out to my friends over there, Joe and uh, Kelly, and all the rest of the guys that I worked with. Our good friends from Fastlane Travel were there with their cars. I worked with my good friend Hank. He was a judge. I was a judge. Kenny was a judge. Bob was a judge. Ike was a judge. I did not do Porsches. I recused myself from judging Porsches because I had a car in the event. And um, so I did European cars. So then I had my old buddy, Driving Ivan. He's probably listening. Driving Ivan was there. He just popped up out of nowhere. He's been on a show before. We have to get Driving Ivan on again. And he does video stuff like that. And then there was a couple other guys. Mark. I worked with Mark. Mark was a good guy. Some amazing trophies. There were some beautiful cars there. There was an Aston Martin Lagunda there. Very rare. Okay, early 80s. There was a guy with a legit BMW, a 2001 or 2, touring Euro car with a six-speed and a, and, and a six-cylinder in it. They did come with V8s. That was a pretty cool car. Uh, Olivier from uh, the Tampa Bay Automobile Museum brought an Alpine, which is a very rare car, a little French guy. Very well known for rallies and uh, very popular in South America and uh, in France. And then he brought some other car, and I can't remember what it was, but I think it was called a Tracta. T R A C Ta. Okay, very unusual car. If you get a chance, go by the Tampa Automobile Museum because they have some very, very unusual. They're of French descent, so they collect French cars, primarily French front wheel drive cars. And uh, so, or rear engine, rear drive. So they got some pretty interesting cars there with some very, very interesting history. So a big shout out to those guys. And um, our good friends from uh, Larry Legas and his wife Debbie from uh, from uh, Predator Motorsports had two Jaguars there. They both won awards. One was a S-Type sedan with a four-speed. Nice car, very rare. Sedan with a four-speed, I might add. And then, then Jerry had, or Larry had his uh, 120. Um K or 120 XK120 there yeah and uh, Roadster very very nice custom built car countless Porsches our friends from uh, Fastlane Travel actually had two of their cars there they had the Panamera there with an unusual green which is uh, a favorite of Dr. Ferry Porsche and uh, and a 356 there in yellow Primrose kind of and then uh, and yours truly yours truly actually won an award I won an award I came in second for the spirit of Porsche which you know, there was probably some competitive car there. I don't know who got first, but I received one. So if you check out our Facebook page on uh, Gulfstream Motorsports and on Nostalgic Radio Cars and on Fastlane Travel Facebook, uh, I have all this stuff posted on there, some pretty cool stuff. So 
there was 350 cars there. There was some a really nice collection of military vehicles. Obviously, plenty of Lamborghinis, plenty of Ferraris, plenty of uh, McLarens. Uh, Dimmit Auto Group was there. They had uh, their cars out there. There was Audis. There was and there was actually a couple of trick wagons. I love wagons. Uh, in fact, there was a couple Cadillac CTS wagons or XCTS. Yeah, I guess those little bad boys there. There was a couple of those out there. A uh, huge collection of Corvettes. Plenty of Corvettes there. Obviously, like I said, Porsches. Plenty of those. A couple 928s. Bunch uh, Slant Nose 930, GT2 RS, GT3. No, no, GT2. GT3 RSs. Um, just some cool stuff. And Tesserosa. There was uh, Cleet was there with his 1967. 6667 Ferrari 330 GTC, one of my favorite Ferraris. Two-seater transaxle car, coupe, beautiful car. Um, what else was there? Testarossa, no Mondials, but the, oh yeah. Um, what was Oh yeah, there was a Brickland there. Alan, there was a Brickland there. I know you're listening. And uh, and a couple really tricked uh, uh, Honda 2000, S2000. There was one of those there. Uh, and some American vintage stuff. There was a 428 Cobra Jet Mustang there. There was a Tricktail Falcon there. There was a 36 Chevrolet there. Beautiful 56 Lincoln. Um, Coupe was there. And uh, just uh, some Cobra Kit cars. Just a nice selection of cars. It was a great day. It was at Vinoy Park. The weather turned out it was cold in the morning. But then it got nice and warm. And uh, to the point where we actually had to take our jackets off. But still, everybody had a good time, and there was a lot, a lot of people there. So definitely check out festivalsofspeed.com. Their next event that I think is coming up might be, I well, have to check out the website, but I think they got the World Equestrian Center in Ocala. That's on, uh, on uh, Kentucky Derby Day. Anyway, on that note, I think what uh, Mr. Ed is going to do. Hi, Ed. And doing a great job. Thank you. Appreciate it. Always good to work with you. Um, we're going to play a little Deep Purple. One of my favorite songs. He used to play pinball this song, uh, Black Knight. And then he's going to call our guests, and we'll be right back with our special guest for the evening. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right, blah, 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 right back to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Blackmore on the uh, on the guitar there. Um, time to introduce our special guest for the evening, and we didn't get a chance to talk about this auction, but this gentleman will tell us about this auction. I'm delighted to welcome back to the show my good friend Bill Wyndham with the Saratoga Motor Car Museum in Saratoga, New York. Hey, Bill, how you doing? I'm doing great, Robert. How about you? Hanging in there, hanging in there. So you're uh, you're uh, you're you're thrashing right now because you got this auction coming up, and in a couple of weeks down in Naples. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, it's actually uh, on Friday, uh, February 2nd. It's part of a three-day event held here in Naples. Uh, kicks off with the Jetport uh, reception Thursday night. Uh, Friday, then, we have our option. Option starts at 11 o'clock. And then Saturday, the big cars on Fifth Avenue. Uh, big tradition with over 750 uh, exotic and classic cars. That's on Saturday? I thought it was Sunday. No, it's Saturday. Oh, boy, I'm glad you told me that. I would have been a, That would have been boo-boo. Oh, okay. So Thursday <laughs> night, 
is the hangar party. Friday yep. is the auction, and Saturday yep. is cars of the fifth. Yep. Now, can anybody show up to that, or do you have to register for the cars of the fifth? How does that work? Uh, you, you need tickets to get in, and uh, if you just go on carsonfifth.com, you can get tickets online, or you can get them at the gate. Okay. How much are the tickets? Do you know offhand? I think they're like $20. $20? Oh, my gosh. All right. Anyway, let's talk about Naples Car Auction. Let's talk about your event, and let's talk about some of the cars you got going through there. Yeah, it uh, is the third annual Naples Car Auction. This is my first year as the auction director. Okay. Uh, we the, the benefit of the auction is for two charities. One, the Saratoga Auto Museum in Saratoga Springs, New York. Uh, where we also do a big auction of 400 cars every September. Okay. And the other charity would be uh, uh, St. Matthew's House, which is based in Naples. And so St. Matthew's House really is the charity for all three days of the uh, the weekend event. And uh, we share with them on Saturday, uh, Friday the auction. Okay. Now tell us about some of the cars going through the auction. Oh, uh, we got a great lineup of car. I was uh, really, really picky and, and scrutinized all the uh, cars. Uh, we, we're doing, it's more of a boutique auction, Robert. We're mm-hmm. doing only 75 cars. Okay. Uh, but 75 of the best of the best cars I've ever been around. Uh, we start at the very top. We have a one of four 1967 Ferrari 330 GTC which is an all-original 39,000-mile car. Probably the finest original 330 GT on the planet. Uh, we have documented uh, history of the last two owners, which were for over 42 years. Uh, that's, that's the top dog in the option. Secondly, uh, we have a split-window Corvette. Same owner, 53 years, won all the awards. Uh, it's NCRS Top Flight, Gold, Triple Diamond, same owner for 53 years. Uh, the, the inventory consists of Italian exotics. That would be Maserati, Lamborghini, Ferrari, uh, British cars. We have Rolls-Royce. We have Bentley. We have Jaguar, Aston Martin. Uh, we have 60 muscle cars, and we have a couple of 50s, uh, real original cars. That's what's amazing about the inventory. We have so many low-mileage, vintage, classic cars. It's unbelievable. Now, I know my friend has got his 12,000-mile 1989 McLaren going through there, for sure. And that that is a rare car. One of the only green McLaren Mustang I've ever seen. That is it. It's a one-of-one. One. It was a special order British Racing Green, because the guy that owned yeah. that car and ordered that car was in the British cars, so that was his preference. Yep, a beautiful car. And an affordable classic, for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's probably in the $30,000 range, started to 35 yep. somewhere yep. in there. So, yep. how does, tell us, take us through the auction process here. So, if I want to consign a car for our listeners, mm-hmm. I know, but mm-hmm. for our listeners, tell them how the process works. And why actually, they should actually go to a boutique auction as opposed to, you know, a thousand-car auction. And that's an important point, uh, Robert, you made there. I mean, I just came in, as you were also at the Mecham auction in Kikini, oh, yeah. where they have 4,500 cars, and it's, it's uh, it, uh, <laughs> needless to say, your car can get lost pretty easily in a crowd of cars like that. Yes. The boutique auction, uh, you get, uh, from, I think you get more specialized service, more one-on-one clientele interaction. Everyone speaks to me. You're not talking to an agent for an auction company. And the process is really simple. Uh, a client, a potential consigner would initiate a phone call. We'd discuss the car, uh, send me pictures of the car, give me a little of the provenance of the history. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, give me a number that you're hoping to achieve at the auction, and then we'll have a discussion if that number is attainable in reality or not. Uh, so many times people purchase cars, uh, and classic cars tend to be more of a tradable you know, commodity, and much like the stock market, uh, that commodity can go up and down. So uh, if they're not paying close attention, have their finger on the pulse of what the market is, 
sometimes they're uh, a little unhappily surprised at what the current market is on their car. Exactly. All right, so now if I want to consign my car, what, what, are, what are the costs okay. associated with it? Uh, to consign a car, it's $250. If you put a reserve on the car, which means this is the number that I will not sell the car for any less than, there's an 8% seller's premium. If you put a no reserve on the car, which means the car is going to sell at the highest bid, it's 4%. So if the car doesn't meet reserve and you decide to drop your uh, reserve, we'll negotiate the seller's fee. And if you're willing to sell it, we may get to the point where there's no seller's fee and still net you out uh, the amount that you want for the car. Okay. Very and good. we also have, after the car leaves the block, a lot of times consigners will, shall I say, come to the reality that this is probably what the car is really worth. And we have what's called a still for sale. So if that consigner says, no, I'm not going to sell it, but 10 minutes later says, you know, I really don't want to take that car home, uh, we'll negotiate with uh, the bidders that were on the car to try to put a deal together. Okay. Now let me ask you this. How many days after the auction do you, like your protection period, okay? We have that in mm -hmm. real estate, for example. So, you know, when you have mm -hmm. commissions or when you have, mm -hmm. um, what's the word, when you, when you basically uh, list a car, uh, a house with a, with a real estate agent, mm -hmm. well, you, basically I've listed my car with you. How many, what's the protection mm -hmm. period that you still have a right to collect on in the event of a sale? How does that work? Uh uh, I'm not quite sure what what you're. In other you're words, saying. if 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 the car's at the auction and somebody looked at the Correct. car, you have a protection right. period of let's say 48 hours or something like that. So within that 48 hours, post the auction, if somebody yep. you still have the right to sell that car. Uh, that's to, correct. That's correct. On the contract, the consignment contract says that we have 14 days. In other words. Oh. If a bidder would approach the seller after the auction right. and say there's a 10% buyer's premium on the hammer price of the car, right. and let's say the seller's or this, uh, the buyer decides that, you know, uh, I, I'm going to approach the seller afterward because he didn't sell the car. If that seller would sell the car to him, he's still responsible to pay the 10%. And the seller is also responsible to pay the seller's fee. That protects us from individuals, what we say, you know, selling the car in the parking lot after the auction's over. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, yeah. a thing that I want to emphasize, want you to emphasize why a boutique or a small, a low number auction is very, very important compared to a high number auction. Just like you mentioned earlier, 4,000 cars, your car's going to get lost. Run numbers, yep. run numbers, run times are extremely important. Please elaborate on that. Yeah, Robert, you're exactly right. When when you're in a large auction, let's take what's going on in Scottsdale now with Barrett Jackson, mm -hmm. which is a you know seven day sale, or Meekum, uh, Indianapolis, or Kissimmee, which is a twelve day sale. Cars, the, the the most bidders, the most bidding activity that you'll find in those auctions would be like on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because that's where those auction companies put their premium cars their premium cars, hoping to get the highest amount of bids, therefore driving up the prices. But if you have, let's say, a beautiful, like, let's talk your McLaren, $35,000 car, they're going to put your car early in the auction, and therefore the gate that is the bidders is going to be very small. And your online and telephone bidding will be very small because most people are at work. So what happens is it's generally the dealers, classic car dealers, participate, and obviously they're not paying top dollar for the car because they want to buy the car, ship it back to their dealership, and still have 10 to 20% left in, uh, to be able to make a profit. So in a boutique auction, our auction of cars will probably last two and a half to three hours. Everybody's in the room. Nobody leaves. You go to a traditional auction, the first uh, half hour, you don't see a lot of bidders in the audience. And the last half hour, most of them have tired, got bored, and left. So in our auction, every spot is a good spot. What time does your auction start? 
It starts at 11 o'clock, gates open at 10, and you can preview the cars on Thursday and starting at 10 o'clock on Friday. We also offer to potential online and, 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 and uh, phone bidders, if you're interested in a car, can't actually attend, we will do a walk-around car, do a zoom of the car, so that you have some added confidence that if you're not actually at the auction, what you're bidding on is going to arrive at your door uh, without any surprises. But again, in this auction, I don't have anything. There's no surprises. Every car is a good car. Super, super. All right, so we got this coming up on February 2nd, correct? Okay. So if, if people want to find out more about it, Bill, where do they go? How do they do it? Okay, what you would do is go to, and this is the website, Naples Motor Car Auctions, and that would be plural, NaplesMotorCarAuctions.org. All the information is present there. Okay, good. Um, we got about uh, 30 seconds. Just say something real quick about the Motor Car Museum in Saratoga. Uh, the Saratoga Motor, uh, Auto Museum is located in Saratoga Springs in the Saratoga State Park. It is, uh, we just uh, have completed our James Bond display. We had all the cars, and including the submarine, uh, in, on display that were in the James Bond movies. It was our most successful exhibit ever. And now we're moving into Ferrari in conjunction with uh, the Ferrari movie. So over the next six months, we will, over three different changes in the exhibit, have some of the finest Ferraris that were ever built, including Michael Schumacher's Formula One car. Super. Well, Bill, that's a lot of information. I'm sure some people are tuned in. We'll definitely try to make it down there to uh, Naples for the yeah. uh, for your auction for Cars on the 5th. And uh, yeah. if any of them are wandering around up in uh just north of Albany, New York, because that's where Saratoga Springs is, between yep. there and yep. Lake Placid. I'm sure they're yep. going to wander in and check out your uh, museum up there. Yeah, and one thing about Saratoga Springs this year, we have the third leg of the Triple Crown so for horse racing. So the town and the area is all excited. It's a big day. Super, super. Bill, you take care. I'll see you in a couple okay, weeks. Robert. Thank you very much for coming yep. on the show. Thank you, Robert. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. Well, I'd like my special guest, Bill Wyndham, with the Saratoga Motor Car Museum and the Naples Motor Car Auction. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. And don't forget to follow us on some of our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, all that other kind of good stuff. Big shout-out to my friends over at Fast Lane Travel. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it. Great show tonight. Thank you, all my listeners. Hey, get out there, drive some of your cars. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. 